Hey, this is Len Casper, the TV voice of the Chicago Cubs. You're listening to the Friendly Confines podcast with Chad and Ryan. Chad, I think we can honestly say that this episode was probably your most favorite episode when it came to people we got to interview. Because it's not every day that you get to interview one of the greatest Chicago Cubs of all time and a Hall of Famer, might I add, in Andre Dawson. But we did just that, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, he's one of the greatest baseball players of all time. If you're in the Baseball Hall of Fame, you are at a level that that less than just minuscule percentage will ever reach. And we got Andre, who couldn't have been nicer. We're going to talk about his 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 current career. It's so surprising. We're going to talk about his thoughts about that blank check contract, that famous one. We're going to talk about what made him excel when he came over to the Cubs in 1987, some of his fondest memories with the Cubs, so much more. What was your favorite part about the interview? You know what? I was really surprised when he told me the pitcher that gave him the most trouble. I had in my head guys who I thought he would have said, and it was somebody that I never would have expected him to say. That was really interesting. And from the way he answered it, it sounded like, He hadn't been asked that question in quite some time. So that I thought was pretty cool. What I found interesting, I learned more about that blank check. And and he talked about there was active collusion going on among the the teams. And he shed some more light on that that I I wasn't aware as a Cubs fan. So you'll definitely want to check that out. And also, uh, so this is a 30-minute interview. It's fantastic. We had a lot of fun talking to Andre. Um, About 10 minutes into the interview, we're going to tell you a little bit more about our new partner, the Federalist Wine. Fantastic wine. But write this number down right now if you have a a pen handy or hit pause. This isn't live. You can do this, but text Cubs 20 to 77948. So grab your phone, go to your text messaging and type in Cubs 20 and send that to the number 77948. We'll tell you about that um, in, in about 10 minutes more and more about our fantastic new partner in Federalist Wine. So that is going to wrap it up from here. So stick around because the Andre Dawson interview starts right now. Time now for the seventh inning stretch on the friendly confines and chat. We've had so many wonderful guests on this podcast in our time doing this, but I can honestly say we have gotten our biggest guest ever. Our first hall of famer, one of the greatest Chicago Cubs of all time. And he is kind enough to join us here on the seventh inning stretch. Ladies and gentlemen, the Hawk, Andre Dawson is here with us today. Andre, thank you so much for joining us here on the Friendly Confines. How are you today? And thanks for joining us. Well, it's my distinct pleasure. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Well, it is it is great to talk to you, Hawk. And let's start here. You've gotten uh, some media attention lately. There's a lot of buzz going around with your new career. You are the owner of a funeral home in Miami. Um, tell us a little bit about your new career and what that has been like for you. Um, obviously during what is an extremely difficult time in our country, um, but nonetheless learning a new skill that uh, is certainly something that I'm sure you've uh, had to take to and, and try to learn and, and try to grasp. Well, I've had the funeral home itself uh, for, for 12 years now, and it's just 
recently that I start to uh, get a lot of recognition uh, because of what I'm doing post-career. And uh, I just look at it, this is where I am at this particular point in time uh, in my life. I didn't really get into it with the idea of running a funeral home. I was a, an investor initially in a different funeral home, and this particular business sort of fell into my lap. But uh, it's, you know, it, it has a lot of challenges uh, that it presents. And I just said, you know, if I was uh, up for the task to play 20 long, grueling years of professional baseball day in and day out, uh, despite, you know, some of the circumstances I had to encounter with injuries and things like that and so forth, uh, this is something that I, you know, can welcome and I just really uh, take the challenge itself uh knowing that, hey, I, I can do this. I got a feel for this. I've always felt that I, I wanted to uh, be one to, to serve. I never felt in what capacity, but I just felt that, hey, this is my calling now. This is where God has placed me, and I just got to get both feet in, grasp it, look at it for actually what it is, and try to make the most of it. And like I said, it's been 12 years now, and uh, I'm I'm very comfortable with where I'm at, what I'm doing. I work for the Chicago Cubs in a different capacity, but uh, this is something uh, that uh, a lot of people, uh, they find it uh, kind of uh, mysteriously uh, <laughs> something that uh, they can't envision uh, my doing. But once I sort of sit them down and break it down to them and tell them about the entire process, uh, what it endures, then, you know, they get a little bit more comfortable uh, talking about it. But this is, again, this is where I am now, and uh, like I said, it's been it's been 12 years, so uh, I uh, welcome it, and I just try to make the most of it. I love that. Andre, this is Chad. For so many people, at least in, in my generation, you were you were really the first almost mythical kind of larger than life player to wear a Cubs uniform. And when I shared, when Ryan and I shared that we were talking to you, I had more than a few people say that you were the reason that they created their lifelong fandom because of, of the, your impact at, at, at a certain age. How do you view your legacy with the, the Cubs and also with the fans? Well, I have a a special special bond with the fans. I say that in a sense because uh, once I got to Wrigley Field, they embraced me from day one. And I'm, I'm not going to overlook the fact that I played in Montreal for 10 years. They had a huge fan base and following. But Chicago fans rejuvenated me. Uh, they made me realize why I really loved the game so much. Uh, and like I said, when they embraced me from day one, I just look at that as a turning point in my career that put me at a, a completely different level. I, I'd always had success throughout the course of my career, but I felt my better years were still ahead of me. And they fueled me in a sense to, to allow myself to go out and enjoy the game uh, for what it was. Uh, the city of Chicago, the, the fan base around the country itself, and uh, aside from the fact that they had the Superstation, I just look back at 
you know, the accomplishments, all of the accolades, and so on and so forth throughout the course of my career. That was uh, something I think that the fans uh, had a, a purpose and played a role in. And I never really played the game itself with the idea of being a Hall of Famer or a future Hall of Famer. I just wanted to make the most of it. I played as long as I could, get the uniform back as opposed to have it taken away. And the end result was 20 years of uh, playing at the, the major league level. So I looked at my career and when everything sort of came full circle with the announcement about the election to the Hall of Fame, I just had to reminisce and think about all the people, the impact and the roles that they played and helping me get to that point. I mean, Chad, who can forget Andre's army back in the day? It oh, was yeah. so cool. I mean, that was that was really the beginning of like the right field excitement. You know, we saw that pass to Sammy and, you know, over the years, different players. But I feel like Andre really was the one that really started that, you know, just whole craze with the fans in right field. Just so excited about um, the players that, that came out to greet them. And, and Andre. When you were a free agent and you left Montreal to come to the Cubs in 87, I mean, there's the famous story and, uh, you know, maybe part of it is truth. Maybe part of it has become more fairy tale. But the, the famous story is that you came to the Cubs and said, fill in the blank with what you want to pay me. And that first year, the Cubs got you at this amazing bargain of $500,000, which, of course, you look at the free agents today and obviously that's unheard of. What was it that you felt um, in your mind that you were comfortable with saying to the Cubs, pay me what you think I'm worth and I will go along with it and play for that amount, as opposed to finding a team and saying, listen, I want more money, I want more security, and I want to be able to, um, you know, have the, the, the type of money that someone of, of my pedigree deserves? Well, because of collusion, I had to grow and realize that monetary issues uh, couldn't be a factor as far as me moving forward as a free agent. And there were several things that I had to consider. One, uh, staying in the National League, uh, getting on a natural playing surface as opposed to the AstroTurf, a daytime baseball, and uh, the fact that, uh, again, I was still in the National League uh, where there was a lot more uh, familiarity and I just said you know Chicago is one of those places I've always enjoyed uh, the city itself uh, so many perks about it and Atlanta came to mind because it was again in the National League a natural playing surface and it was closer to my home but I wanted to give uh, the first crack at this thing to the Cubs uh, because I felt that they still had the nucleus intact of the team that had won uh, and, and actually gone to uh, the league championship game against the Padres three years prior. So I felt I could probably be a, a, a necessary fit. It didn't really work out that way that year we finished in last place. But I just said, you know, my best option at this time uh, would probably uh, to pursue uh, the efforts of getting to Chicago. And that's when my agent and myself sat down and we devised a way, we did, we devised a way, I'm sorry, to uh, make it approachable uh, for the Cubs to entertain what we were about to 
uh, present to them, and that was a blank contract. And I just said, you know, I hope that it won't be overly embarrassing. Uh, even if it is, I'm just going to uh, just bite the bullet, put my, my pride aside, and accept what their proposal was. I didn't really think they were going to make me an offer, but uh, it was an offer, I think, that was geared to really uh, turn me away. But uh, because I was man enough to, to put that out there, I was going to be man enough to stand up to it. Such an incredible career, the longevity that you've mentioned, the 20 years, just just amazing, and the numbers to back it up. Now, prior to coming on um, and joining the Cubs organization, you had been MVP runner-up twice for the Expos, but you left no doubt when you won it in 1987. Um, you've never had a season, season quite like that before or after, even though you've had a tr- tremendous production. What was it about Chicago that season that just made you explode? I really got off to a slow start. I had a pretty good spring training, even though I started spring training late. But I uh, I hit a grand slam home run off of Todd Warrell uh, to win a ball game, I guess uh, around mid-April or so, late April. And that kind of got things going for me. I pretty much settled in, and it just seems like things were happening on a daily basis. The one thing I, I didn't do that particular year, I didn't set any goals. I lost my grandmother uh, back around the early part of the year. And uh, I, I just sort of dedicated the season uh, on her behalf. I just said, I said I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go out and think about numbers or anything. I'm not going to try to be a crowd pleaser. And I'm just going to enjoy the game for what it is, have as much fun as I can. And I think once I hit that home run, it kind of got got things rolling for me, and I was able to settle in and, and put together you know the best year of my career. I always felt that I had MVP potential. I finished runner-up to the award twice when I was in Montreal, and I said I would never win it in Montreal. The only way that could possibly happen is uh, playing you know across the border and back in the States, and sure enough, it did happen in my very first year. Andre, people uh, have been giving us questions that they were curious about for your career when we told everybody from uh, the people that listen to our podcast we were going to be talking to you, and one of the questions we got was, who is the most difficult pitcher you faced in your career? Obviously, the 80s and 90s, there were, and even the 70s, some great pitchers to choose from, but was there one pitcher in particular that gave you a harder time more than others? Wow, that's a good one. There were, there were a lot of tough pitchers, and, and as you mentioned, a lot of great pitchers, uh, a lot of Hall of Famers back during that era. And for me, I would probably say Bruce Souter would be the first guy to come to mind uh, because he brought the, the split finger into the game and you had never seen it before, and you didn't really see Bruce a lot. So it made making the adjustment to him a little bit more difficult. Uh, I faced guys like Nolan Ryan, J.R. Richard, uh, Steve Carlton, who I got my very first major league hit off of. I faced some phenomenal pitching, but uh, I think Suda is the one that jumps out at me right away. And I've got a fun question from one of our listeners who says she's one of our one of your biggest fans. She thinks she's your biggest fan. You've met her a couple times because she's stalked you at spring training and seen you at different events. Lisa Patel, um, I, I think I tend to agree with her. I think she might be your biggest fan. She asks, and great question, what advice 
do you give kids that look up to you, kids that, that, that look up to this incredible five-tool player and say, how can they grow up and be more like Andre Dawson? Well, it's amazing that, you know, kids uh, find you aspiring. I've always told kids, uh, be careful in particular about who they pick as their role models because um, athletes are images and images will let you down. Uh, so with that, I've always been under the, um, uh, I've, I've always had the idea of that, hey, I'm uh, in the limelight, I have a platform, and uh, kids find me aspiring. Uh, that's all well and good. The one thing I, I don't want to do is uh, something that's damaging or disappointing to them. And most of that usually comes uh, because of your off-the-field conduct. But uh, kids who, who really, really uh, want to you know, go and venture as far as they can in the game itself, pick the, the, the right individual, uh, just study not only what they do on the playing field itself, but their character and their makeup, uh, what do they do off the field? And it's great to be able to be blessed and have the talent and the ability itself to play the game, but it's going to take a lot of dedication, a lot of determination, a lot of hard work. There's millions of kids who are out there trying to do the same thing, and uh, the sad thing about it is there's only a hand-select few that really get that opportunity. Andre, when you look back on your career, and I mean, the numbers are staggering and what you were able to accomplish. Um, is there anything when you look back, though, and you say, man, I wish I had the opportunity to do this, that you say, you know, if I had only been able to accomplish this, I feel like my career could have even been just a little better than, than it was, you know, it's a Hall of Fame career as it is. But if I could have just reached this, it would have made me feel even better. Anything that stands out to you? Well, from uh, playing in the, the big leagues or playing professionally, uh, it, it's hard to pinpoint into one particular area, but I will say as far back as high school, I got hurt playing football. And that was kind of the kicker to uh, having all of the issues with the knees throughout the course of my career. Uh, I wouldn't have played football uh, per se, but I felt that it helped pass the time and my friends played, so uh, it kept me active physically. But uh, I just look at my career. Having, having the, the issues with the knees really made me mindful of my uh, got to be a little bit better than the normal. So I tried to be as impeccable as possible with the understanding that, hey, your career can end at any time. Uh, so I didn't uh, really feel sorry in any way. Uh, the damage was done early. Uh, you react to it in a positive way. And that's, that's the attitude I tried to take. I just tried to, you know, put uh, the, 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 the effort and the time behind me uh, when this particular injury occurred and just move forward from that. And that's what made me realize that, you know, I just got to put in a little extra work just to make sure that I'm where I want to be and I'm able to continue to play. And knowing that you've you had those knee issues, uh, the fact that you're in, in one of the, I think, one of the most incredibly elusive clubs, exclusive clubs rather, with Barry Bonds, Willie Mays, Alex Rodriguez, Carlos Beltran, and Andre Dawson. 400 home runs and 300 stolen base club. 
that to me is just an incredible, I mean, it's just, it speaks for itself, a rare mix of power and speed. Why, you know, why do you think that that club is so elusive and how in the world were you able to, to um, also flash the speed um, when you were known as just kind of this mythical big guy that just, that mashes home runs? How, how did you, how were you able to join this club? Well, it's funny because I initially I didn't consider myself to be a, a home run hitter, a power hitter. I knew that I had power. I I wasn't a big guy. I never played the game over 197 pounds. Uh, but I was always told that I was blessed with, with quick hands. And despite the knee issues, I had uh, still decent speed. So what I tried to work on was all of the other aspects, uh, my my throwing, uh, running the bases, uh, being a little bit more selective, trying to not really hit for power, but cut down on my swing when it was necessary and put the ball in play more. Uh, but, you know, when, like I said, when you're blessed with the, uh, the ability to do those things, that's when you got to really reach back and put the time and effort in to work on the uh, the entirety of the game itself. So once, you know, it was established that I would hit the ball with power on a consistent basis, now it kind of opens things up for me uh, when it comes to run production. Uh, but again, staying mindful of, of defense, I, I took a lot of pride in going out and, and winning gold gloves. I took more precedent over that than I did as far as hitting home runs. I just thought you could win a game defensively just like you can up at the plate. So I just, I just, you know, kind of uh, curtailed all of that in the sense of, hey, I have the potential and the talent to, to do a lot of things, a lot of good things in the game with uh, the understanding that there's only uh, uh, a few uh, who have uh, four or five true ability. And uh, to be a one, I mentioned as one of those individuals, I took a lot of pride in it. We'll be right back with more from our interview with Andre Dawson. But first, this word from our new partner. Chad, the moment has arrived, what we've this been building it. up for this entire episode, but it's finally here. I am so excited. I am too. And this is the biggest giveaway we've ever had in Friendly Confines podcast history. And we're excited. I mean, what I'm excited about, this is something that I know I've enjoyed this brand. I've enjoyed this wine Tell us, Rhino, give us a little insight. Tell us about our newest partner, The Federalist. That's right, Chad. You know, The Federalist is a wine brand devoted to one thing, and that's damn good taste. And why is that? Well, because it was time for a wine crafted to be as big, bold, and revolutionary as America itself. And so because we have this new partnership, they have been so amazing as to supply us with 250 Chicago Cubs hats that we're going to be able to give away only to our podcast listeners. Are you interested? Write this down. Write this down. Text CUBS20. Again, that's C-U-B-S 20, CUBS20, to the number 77948. Again, CUBS20 to 77948 for a free Chicago Cubs hat from the Federalist, and you get to learn a little bit more about their brand. This is the Federalist. This is American Craft Wine. Giveaway valid while supplies last. That's right. So you must be 21 or older to consume alcohol, and please drink responsibly. 
Andre Dawson is our guest, Hall of Famer, Chicago Cub great. Andre, I want to ask you about the current Chicago Cubs. And as you mentioned, you are a part of the organization or an ambassador for the team. Um, I know you've gotten the opportunity to spend some time around some of the current guys. I'm curious what your thoughts are as somebody who played in the postseason in 89 with the Cubs, but never got to make it to the World Series as a player what the experience was for you to see the Cubs win the World Series in 2016 and just your thoughts of this run that we have seen from this Cubs organization that arguably is probably the greatest run that we have ever seen from this franchise. Can you kind of put into words what this team uh, over the last several years has has meant to you and, and what the World Series championship meant to you seeing them finally get over the hump? Well, I was ecstatic. I think everyone that's ever put that uniform on, the Cubs uniform, was really, really pulling for uh, the team to to win it uh, that particular year. And uh, they they had to pull a, a you know a rabbit out of the hat, uh, down three games to one, and you know uh, of course playing a couple of games uh, at home and then going on the road and having having to have to win. World Series on the road, but I, I miss games, you know, four and five in Chicago, and I saw them come back and win the game they had to to get back to Cleveland itself. And I was optimistic. I can re- remember having a conversation with um, with Joe Madden, and he said we need to get back on the road. He said I think if you know, we can get back on the road, get out of Chicago, get out of Wrigley Field. We're going to be fine. Such was the case. Uh, but I uh, I witnessed that moment uh, at home in Florida, watching it, you know, like I guess millions of Cubs fans around the country. And I was extremely ecstatic. Finally, it, it, it finally happened. And uh, with that particular uh, team, the nucleus that they had in tank, I felt that they – uh, had what it would take to make a good run for a number of years. Of course, they uh, came up a little bit short uh, right after they won the World Series, but with uh, with a similar team, uh, pretty much the same team, still in tank, uh, they uh, still have the opportunity uh, to do some damage. I think this year, nothing's going to be normal about this year, but uh, with the start that they gotten off to the surprising thing for me has been how well the uh, starting pitching uh, has carried them uh, despite the fact that we haven't really got going offensively so I think this is something that could probably or should play uh, a big role down the road Uh, these guys are going to swing the bat a lot better than they are and they're going to play a lot better but to get off uh, to the start that they have and uh, see that they're at the top of the standards in that division. Uh, it's you know it's 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 pleasing. You know, like I say, nothing is normal about this year. So we still got a lot of work to do, um, a lot of things to get done, accomplished uh, with regards of in and then getting into postseason play. But I still like the nucleus and the makeup. They are not young anymore. It's not a uh, it's not a young team anymore. They're more veteran laden now. And I think experience is going to play a key role. That's, you know, how they performed in the past. They they understand and they know 
what their makeup is and what they're capable of doing. I think they're, little, they're pressuring a little bit, uh, but that's going to, you know, get itself turned around and ironed out. And I look forward to them to continue to play well and even play better. So, Andre, we have time for just a couple more questions. I, I met you um, during game uh, game four on Saturday night. I know you probably don't remember me. It was a thrill to meet you. I got a great picture with you. It was very surreal, though. You were sitting just a couple seats down from Supreme Court uh, uh, Justice John Paul Stevens. So I, I met both of you on the same night, which was pretty wild on that Saturday night, which was the last loss of that, uh, that epic run before they won the three straight. I want a question for you about this – this the way baseball has evolved um when you look at at how you would fit in to this year's and in, in this this era's game how do you think that you would fare and also who are some of the comparables that you see that are out on the field right now that, that you look at and go that's 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 me oh i'd love to play in this era uh you got uh you got a lot of guys that come in and they're giving nice effort uh they know that it's, you know, the bullpen uh, that obviously is going to uh, be the determining factor in how the outcome of the game is itself. So uh, you have a lot of harder throwers, I uh, think, and that's why I say Max Shepard guys. And the game itself has changed. There's a lot of uh, emphasis placed on uh, exit velocity, long angles. Hitters are being taught. Uh, to have a different type of approach in the batter's box. There's the strikeouts uh, doesn't weigh heavily into uh, the thinking of the, the, the hidden instructors themselves. It's just, you know, you want to get the ball in the air. I wouldn't really uh, change anything as far as my approach is concerned, uh, but I just, I was a kind of on the, on the top of the plate hitter. So with these harder throws, I would definitely um, welcome challenges from them, but I would crowd the plate to give them the idea that, you know, hey, uh, they could uh, beat me inside, which is uh, the approach I would take. But I just I just think uh, the game itself is has changed as far as that is concerned. Uh, but for me, uh, I would I would just, I would welcome it. I, I feel that I would do real well. Uh, I would be more inclined to probably uh, swing, swing for the no. I, I shouldn't say I would be inclined to swing for the fences because that would just take me out of my game plan. But I do feel that I would have better success of hitting the ball in the air uh, because you know the power pitches today they try to pitch up in the strike zone. Andre Dawson, baseball Hall of Famer, Chicago Cub Hall of Famer. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Friendly Confines. You are such a class individual, Andre, and you couldn't have been nicer with your time with us. We so appreciate it. We would obviously love to have you back anytime you're available. Um, thank you for joining us on the seventh inning stretch. Continued success to you with your career at the funeral home, and um, we wish you nothing but the best. But uh, thank you again for joining us, and uh, go Cubs. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to Thanks, talk to Andre. you, Andre. Okay, thank you, guys. My pleasure. Stay safe. Bears Barroom. Welcome to the Barroom Network. Here's what's on the menu. Gabriel Schuster Football Podcast. I'm David Schuster. He is Greg Gabriel. This is Bear Football, your weekly look at the Chicago Bears from a fanalist standpoint. 
This is Buffon 55. And welcome into another edition of the Grabstein Schuster Zone. Bears Bar Room. The Mike North Advantage. Hawk Harrelson. How are you, Hawk? All right, big guy. What are we going to argue about today? <laughs> so if you're a Cubs fan or even just a baseball fan, be sure to check out the Friendly Confines podcast every week on the Barroom Network. This is the Fantasy Football Goon Podcast with me, Joe Mandel, the goon, and my buddy, John Santucci, the tooch. Shinowski, Schuster, Sharpshooters. And welcome in to Stuff My Mom Threw Out. It's brought to you by AU Sports, the best memorabilia store in the world. Bears Barroom. There's that and much more, like the Barfly Tailgate Show, Draft on Tap, and, well, just subscribe to the Bears Barroom Radio Network and get automatic downloads to all our shows. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Bears Barroom. That's right. We're now a part of the Barroom Network as well, so be sure to check us out. And they as well. There are some great podcasts on the network. Guys like Mike North, Mark Shanowski, David Schuster, Les Grobstein, all a part of the network. And guess what, Chad? Yeah. We are too. So yeah, guys, exciting yeah. stuff. Yeah, guys like Ryan Lieber, Chad Gordon. And That's we're right. excited about the partnership. And, and, uh, and there's some great shows. So make sure you, uh, wherever, you, wherever you're listening to podcasts, wherever you listen to us, look for the Barroom Network. And you're going to find some great shows on sports memorabilia, fantasy football, lots of stuff on the Bears, which is coming up. And we're also really excited about our new partner. This is our second week there. And as we shared early on and then also midway through the Andre interview, um, that we have this great hat giveaway through our sponsor yeah, while supplies last. And the supplies are still there. So make sure you um, uh, type Cubs 20 and text that Cubs 20, the number two zero Cubs 20 to seven, seven, nine, four, eight, and you can get a free Chicago Cubs hat while supplies last. And as always, since they are one of our, um, uh, new partners, uh, you must be 21 or older to consume alcohol. Please drink responsibly. Rhino, what a fun episode with Andre, you know, next week, we're going to release the full unedited version with Ryan Dempster. Gosh, it's amazing. The guests we have, I keep saying this, nobody gets better guests than we do here on the friendly confines. It's so true, Chad. And we just are trying to keep rolling them out. And as I always say as well, if you have someone you'd like us to interview, don't be afraid to hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Ryan D. Lieber. Chad's at the Chad Gordon. Or you can go to the Friendly Confines Facebook page. It's the Chicago Cubs Friendly Confines headquarters. We're always accepting new people that want to be a part of the page. So be sure to give us, uh, drop us a line and uh, let us know who you'd like to hear it, hear from as well. So that is going to do it for this special edition of the Friendly Confines. For Chad, I am Ryan. We'll talk to you next time, everybody. And please, just wear a mask. See you at the ballpark, everyone. Don't let anyone say that it's just a game. For I've seen other teams and it's never the same. When you're born in Chicago, you're blessed and you're healed. The first time you walk into Wrigley Hey everyone, I'm Chad Gordon. And I'm Ryan Lieber. We're the hosts of the Friendly Confines podcast. Each week we'll bring you the latest Cubs news from the fans' perspective with some of the biggest names in sports. 
Joe Buck. Welcome to the Friendly Confines with Chad and Ryan. Yeah, oh my God, I'm happy to do it. Pat Hughes, welcome to the seventh inning. Happy to be here, Chad. It is Len Casper. You got it, Ryan. Chad, happy to be with you guys. The Hawk, Andre Dossett. What is my distinct I'm doing fine, thank you. We're also excited to bring you new episodes as part of the Barroom Network. So if you're a Cubs fan or even just a baseball fan, be sure to check out the Friendly Confines podcast every week on the Barroom Network. This is Andre Dawson, and you're listening to Ryan and Chad on the Friendly Confines podcast.